we are incredibly excited to bring you our 14th episode with Dr. Brian Norcross. This was such a fun and engaging conversation, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. We are also thrilled that the Allegro Orchestra is sponsoring this episode. Since its first concert in 2002, Allegro Orchestra Lancaster has brought joyful music to the Lancaster community. Inspired by the vision of founder and artistic director, Dr. Brian Norcross, Allegro Orchestra Lancaster embodies the classic definition of music by Catherine Drinker Bowen as a conversation between friends. Besides being a founder of Allegro, Dr. Norcross is the driving and creative force behind our success and growth from a summer orchestra to a year-round schedule with a youth music program serving over 250 students ages 8 through 18. Most of Allegro's immensely talented professional players are from Lancaster County. Their love of great music and of playing together shows in every performance. We invite you to join us for our upcoming concert, Allegro Serenades You, on March 17th at First United Methodist Church and March 18th at St. Peter's Lutheran Church. Find tickets on our website at allegrolancaster.org. As a special thank you, we are offering a discount to all Life Between the Notes listeners. Enter LBTN for your special discount on tickets. You will hear clips of Allegro performances as the book ends to this episode, and we hope you enjoy Brian's life between the notes. everyone to Life Between the Notes, where we are going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central Pennsylvania musicians. I'm Kirsten Myers, a local oboist living in the Lancaster area, and with me today is Morgan Davis, a local flutist also in the Lancaster area. So hi, Morgan. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I just, and, and my cat just, uh, oh, so, so well-timed <laughs> for the Yes. <laughs> yes. And we're matching today. Oh. That, yeah. See, that's why there had to be an appearance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, today we are so excited to kick off our 2023 musician interview episodes with one of the most sought after guest conductors in our region, we are honored to have Dr. Brian Norcross joining us. So hello, Brian, and thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be part of this. Thank you. Um, and in some ways, uh, it feels I feel like uh, he doesn't need an introduction, but just in case uh, there is someone out there listening who doesn't know who he is, uh, here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> so... Dr. Brian Norcross is the Senior Director of Instrumental Music and Conducting Studies at Franklin and Marshall College, a position he has held since 1986. 
He directs the Franklin and Marshall Orchestra, Philharmonia Chamber Orchestra, and Symphonic Wind Ensemble, and he teaches conducting and composition. A champion of new music, he has directed over 100 premiere performances with various ensembles. In addition, he is also the director of music at the First United Methodist Church in Lancaster, where he directs the chancel choir and administers the music program. Dr. Norcross has been the artistic director and founding conductor of the Allegro Orchestra Lancaster since the year 2000. Allegro is a professional ensemble performing music of all orchestral time periods with an exciting 21st century twist. The members of Allegro greet audience members before the performance and during intermission, creating a unique, accessible concert experience. Allegro also presents the critically acclaimed Music in the Round series, which positions the orchestra in the middle of the performance space and the audience sits around them. Dr. Norcross is also the artistic director of the Allegro Next Gen Youth Orchestra program. And as part of this program, he conducts the Allegretto Youth Orchestra, which had its inaugural performance in 2009. Dr. Norcross is an active guest conductor and clinician in the mid-Atlantic states, including appearances with the All New England Orchestra, many of the PMEA ensembles, including all state, regional, and district ensembles, and several orchestras and bands in not only Pennsylvania, but Maryland and New Jersey as well. He has also arranged and conducted 10 benefit concerts for the Susquehanna Association for the Blind and Vision Impaired in Lancaster, PA. He has a number of publications, including a book titled, titled One Band That Took a Chance and a conducting textbook used at Franklin Marshall College titled A Vision for Conducting, Teaching and Leadership. Dr. Norcross is a recipient of the Massachusetts Music Educators Lowell Mason Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Field of Music Education. The Franklin and Marshall senior classes of 2004 and 2008 voted him most influential professor in the arts and humanities. In 2018, he was selected to give the last lecture to the Franklin and Marshall senior class honorary Black Pyramid Society. He received his doctorate with distinction from the Catholic University of America in Washington, DC, his master's with performance and academic honors from New England Conservatory in Boston, Massachusetts, and his bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. He and his wife, Kim, are both educators and have four children, Molly, Megan, Grayson, and Gloria. So with that, Brian, thank you again um, for taking the time to share a bit of your life with us today. We're so happy to have you join us. I'm exhausted after hearing that. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have some water. Yeah, you, yeah take some water. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not CPR. Yeah. <laughs> and no one passed out during that. So yes. <laughs> somehow we'll need to wake them up. No. But um, so as we do uh, with many of our guests, um, we like to take it back to the beginning to find out how you started your musical path. So your bio tells us you spent many of your college years in Massachusetts. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in New Jersey, and like many other people of, of my generation who were growing up in New Jersey, one of the first things I did was get out of New Jersey. <laughs> now, my, my, my family, which is a very musical family, had vacationed in New England, and I fell in love with New England. 
Mm. And there were a whole series of other bizarre but wonderful happenstances that uh, led me to study at the University of Massachusetts. Uh, but okay. growing up, um, my mom is an oboist. Mm -hmm. uh, and an oboe teacher, she had a lot of students. She averaged between 20 to 25 students every week. Wow. So she, she was an oboe factory. <laughs> and so I heard that all the time. And also went to I'm all sorry. Of I'm, I'm well, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I still have hearing loss in what <laughs> now, now, now my dad played the radio very well. <laughs> Outstanding. And, and in fact, every dinner we had classical music going. Oh really? So I experienced a concert every dinner. And that just became who who hmm. I was. Uh, that that was that's what I knew of as as music goes. Right. And so, did you have any brothers or sisters, any siblings? I have a younger sister who uh, points out quite oftentimes how upset she is that she's the younger sister to me. Uh, because I was so I was a practicing maniac. So I, I started up on French horn. Okay. And I, an interesting story there. Uh, but I drove everyone bananas uh, because I started practicing like crazy right away. Mm -hmm. When I was in middle school, I was practicing four hours a day. Uh, we had to put in a room air conditioner in the window because I was upsetting the neighbors so much. So I wow. the windows. Yeah, we got hate mail. Really? Are yeah. you serious? Please stop. Whatever that. It wasn't wow. bad. It was just You're I was like... very repetitive. It's a lot. Wow, you were Dennis the Menace. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I, I created havoc in the neighborhood and they were most happy when I went to college. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Uh, in fourth grade, I decided it was time I learned to start to play something other than piano, of which I did not enjoy uh, much at all. Oh, OK. Uh, so, OK. And what? so I, I was at the end of a church service. I was near the organist because I was taking piano lessons from the organist and mm -hmm. if I had three good lessons in a row I could take an organ lesson so that that was the oh. I like the organ I thought this is great oh. <laughs> not candy no no organ, yeah. <laughs> organ. <laughs> pipe organ <laughs> yes forget stickers <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> no sticker charts for Brian Norcross <laughs> no. <laughs> no stickers meant nothing organ lesson yes okay wow so i was standing next to the organist and there was a new family to the congregation and they were trying to set up lessons with, with the organist and the father said it's too bad because i've got a perfectly good french horn sitting in the basement and i said oh i want to play french horn he said that's very nice so the next sunday i tracked him down and said my mom wants to talk to you about me borrowing your french horn She's in the choir room. Uh -huh. I then ran to the choir room and told my mother, that man wants to talk to you about me borrowing his French horn. <laughs> now, these are adults. They figured out what was going on really fast. <laughs> but that afternoon, we picked up the French horn mm -hmm. and then went to one of my mother's good friends, uh, Virginia Culpepper, who became my horn teacher from fourth grade until I went to college. Mm -hmm. The instrument that we picked up was a German handmade 
instrument from World War II Oh, wow. made by the, uh, a famous horn maker named Crispy. But it was designed for a small person. It was a really tight wrap, which mm. fit me perfectly as a fourth grader. It was like this was made for me. It was a double horn. Right. Nobody wow. gets to start on a double horn. Right. I got to start on a double horn because the single F horn is a cruel hoax <laughs> on young French horn players. <laughs> yeah. Because no professional plays on this instrument because it's so hard mm-hmm. but the double horn hey right wow and then i had a growth spurt and it didn't fit me anymore oh no <laughs> so in fifth grade i was 510 i was a giant basketball coach is like yeah yeah we play basketball he's <laughs> like okay you stay on horn yeah and uh then we got the horn that i have today and two days after we picked up that horn mr hornbeck that was the guy's name Call to say, I've been transferred. And in those days, you get transferred, you're gone in two weeks. He said, I need the horn back in two weeks. Mm. Why well, I, I had my new horn and was yeah. home. So yeah. serendipity. Wow. Yeah, it was serendipity, a little divine thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So so and when had you started the piano? And that must have been very early. Yeah, I, I was like first grader or something like that. And and I'm glad that my mom pushed me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just didn't click with the exception of the organ lessons. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And that did actually lead to a very short career I had uh, just after I graduated. I, I was a church organist for uh, almost four weeks. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that, that's what the congregation said. <laughs> that was in Colebrook, New Hampshire. That is the Canadian border. Oh, okay. So my first service at this very small Episcopal church, the congregation swelled to 10. <laughs> so after I uh fortunately resigned when I got a full-time teaching position, uh they replaced me with a, a tape recorder. Oh. Oh, wow. That tapes. That was, I was the last one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. It was better for them. So it's okay. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I did the same thing for, well, for a, although I lasted a full year. Wow. Yes. Now I was on piano and it was not organ uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, but I think they were also happy to say (laughs) (laughs) goodbye. So, so you loved music from the start really, and were surrounded by it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that it, it was just the norm. And with two teachers, because my dad was an art teacher. Oh, okay. So I was surrounded by people who were teachers, teachers at heart. And mm-hmm. uh, that also had great impact on my development and my thought process. Mm-hmm. When I was making the decision, am I going to be a pro horn player? Or do I want to be a teacher or conductor? Mm-hmm. And I learned to really despise auditions. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. and decided that's, that's what this is about i don't want any part of this yeah well you're not alone no uh, so yeah. far i've not met anyone say oh i love auditions." yeah like, yeah yeah for sure yeah, talk to your doctor immediately i was gonna say i should get checked out yes <laughs> it's not normal 
<laughs> oh, wow. So, so then when you were in, um, say, middle school, high school, um, I imagine you were involved in, you know, all of the ensembles. Yeah. Yeah. So high school, I, we were fortunate we had a band, chorus, and orchestra. So I was involved with all of that. That was true also in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, I also then played in some community organizations as well. Uh, so I grew up near Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, a town at that time, Cherry Hill was near Moorestown, which is where I, where I lived. Now, for some reason, Moorestown's near Cherry Hill. I, I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> um, but so I played in the Cherry Hill Wind Symphony for, for a long time also. Okay. And so I had lots of performance opportunities, as well as New Jersey. There was a region and all state, uh, mm. very different than in, in Pennsylvania with the County, region, district. district yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and they're all yeah. different here. So it's the, like if you go one county over, then forget it. You don't yeah, know anything. Who knows what's actually happening? Yeah. Um, so I experienced all of that through through all of my years. Actually, there was a really formulative experience that would be great for us to talk about at some point uh, mm -hmm. from, from an Allstate. I don't know if we want me to venture into that right away, but. Um, well, we can, we can, and we will. Right? Um, yeah, and actually, now that you say that, I do remember that my friend Jill Hoffman, who um, plays oboe as well, um, you went. Did you go to high school with her? Yes. Okay. So we were in high school together, and Jill took oboe lessons from my mom. Okay. Right. I mean, who else are you going to take oboe lessons with? Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Which she does find amusing when she plays on ensembles that I'm conducting because she remembers me from high school and then she just occasionally has trouble holding her embouchure because she's she's smiling <laughs> right <laughs> oh that's great that's great <laughs> um so so then when had did you always know that you wanted to go into music as your career well in eighth grade I announced that oh. I was going to become a high school band director okay now that's kind of ironic because I hadn't been in high school <laughs> yeah well but i had been to lots of concerts i'd seen the high school marching band and and i thought hey this looks like something i'd like to do this is what i'm going to be okay and so that really was my focus through high school this is what i'm going to do and on into college this is what i'm going to do mm -hmm. yeah. and eventually actually did become that and then sprung into the college world mm -hmm. so so then when you went to college for your bachelor's then was the, what was your degree in what track were you yeah it was music education okay and um at that point in massachusetts uh, for music ed you were accredited for everything mm -hmm. uh, general music elementary music instrumental music choral music mm -hmm. uh, and and so the academic load was crazy heavy mm -hmm. Um, which it still is heavy for most music education folks. I mean, in the state of Pennsylvania, certification in music education is the most rigorous of any subject. Yes. Yeah. So, still is. Um, but I was one of the last ones who also had full semesters of training on every instrument. So oh. it wasn't a semester of woodwinds. It was a semester of flute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a semester of clarinet. A semester of oboe bassoon. Uh, semester of saxophone yeah so and that was required of everybody 
Yes. Wow. I, this is really interesting to me because I left my ed degree <laughs> partially because I we did we were on quarters um, when I was an undergrad and we did a full quarter of trumpet four days a week for 45 minutes at 730 in the morning. And at the end, of the <laughs> night, I have zero interest in doing yeah. <laughs> all done. Yeah, yeah this is right. crazy. Yeah. Um, but I was so excited about that because my motivation, my inspiration the whole time was. I want to be an amazing high school band director. And so all this training I took very seriously. And uh, at the encouragement of one of the professors put together a notebook. We were all supposed to do this, but I think I was the only one who did, of all the materials from each one of our technique classes. So you'd have that with you in year one when you were confused about what was going on, that you could go back to that resource. Mm -hmm. And I just recently threw that away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah since, since you've been at the collegiate level for what 37 years yeah it's yeah like, maybe it's time to let it go yeah maybe <laughs> and also 80 percent of the conducting i do is orchestral right so right. that growth from that eighth grade declaration of I'm a high school band director to becoming an orchestra director who does some wind ensemble and choral um it's mm -hmm. a remarkable evolution yeah right yeah that's amazing i'm so impressed that the that there's st the structure was like that at the at the school so that's great um so all right so you had have your music edu education degree your bachelor's and then so once you graduated from there did you right away go into your master's work no i that didn't even dawn on me as an option I was so psyched to leave academia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I enjoyed student teaching a lot, mm -hmm. but I didn't want any part of this anymore. I said, I know I got to do it sometime, but I don't want to do this now. I want to be a teacher. That way I can be in the schools. Oh, wait, I just got out of school, but oh, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> be in front of the class is a different thing than being in the class. Yeah. And at that time, it was uh, 19... At 1980, I graduated in 81. Uh, 1980, there was a, a couple of things happened from a political standpoint in our country and in New England. Um, that's the election of Ronald Reagan, small biz, uh, uh, government, okay. And in Massachusetts, they had a tax cutting thing called Proposition Two and a Half, which was trying to change the nickname of Massachusetts, which was Taxachusetts. Oh. to something more livable but people who were concerned about this said this is going to result in layoff of teachers firefighters and police well shock of all shocks it went through and resulted in the layoff of teachers firefighters and police mm -hmm. so all of a sudden entry-level teaching jobs that i would have been a logical person to step into were being taken up by teachers with 12 to 15 years experience mm -hmm. so i could not even get an interview it was right. a mess yeah um and you didn't want to go back to jersey uh, that was not an option <laughs> good well okay you know, new jersey's great i love new jersey but it was not an option right so um uh, i put my my last year and a half in college i was able to cover 
all of my room and board expenses because I was teaching privately and I had actually a huge studio. I had about 30 students mm. on top of everything else that I was doing. So I, I was able to continue that after I graduated and couldn't find a job and then got the church organ position. So now I'm making this massive triangle all over New England trying to piece it all together. And I got an elementary part-time band position in uh, Proctor, Vermont. Mm. Oh I was told that there would be just this huge market for uh, private music lessons because the high school teacher was telling me they were just inundated with students asking for lessons that they couldn't do it. I, great. Mm -hmm. The moment I was appointed, that went away because they were all elementary kids who wanted lessons. And now there's a teacher. Mm -hmm. So that market went away. Like, hey, this is going really badly. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, I've become part as of the University of Massachusetts Youth Wind Ensemble, which was a fairly new group at that time. It was directed by Malcolm Rowell, who was my uh, undergraduate conducting mentor. And he saw that I had potential and asked me to become his assistant, which was terrific. And that was an amazing experience. There was a student in that group from Williamstown, Massachusetts. And his, it, they were an hour and a half away. So his dad would drive him in and he'd take lessons at UMass with the trumpet professor and then would play in this ensemble that I was conducting. Well, the position for the high school, middle school, high school uh, opened up in October. And that father went to the, the superintendent of schools and said, don't even bother doing a search. I have your man. Mm -hmm. I've seen him work. I know how he reacts, how he interacts with the students, how positive he is. He'd be perfect here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I applied and I didn't know that the superintendent had decided I was his only interview. Mm -hmm. On my way to the interview, I lost control of my car oh, no. on Interstate 91 near Greenfield, Massachusetts. Oh, no. And I spun off and the car rolled over. Oh, my God. And I had my only possession in the trunk, my horn. Oh. And the trunk opened, the horn flew out, and the car rolled over on the horn. Oh, my. Wow. So my thought process at that time was, okay, I'm obviously not getting this job because I can't even drive a car. My horn <laughs> has been destroyed, as is my car. Oh, yeah. with the, but I didn't have a scratch or a bruise, nothing. Wow. I had a profound sense as the car was rolling that someone wrapped their arms around me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's the car got repaired. Got another 125,000 miles on it. The horn got repaired. It's the one I still play. It's the one I got when I was in fifth grade. Right. Wow. Because I had a screw bell and the screw stood up to the car. So it just the bell was destroyed. Oh, get out. Wow. And I got the job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And while I was there, I met my future wife. Oh, oh it was a great day. To be. So it was much. a great day. Yes. <laughs> wow. That that's amazing. I don't even know what to say about that. Well, neither do I. <laughs> and the story gets even more amazing. Um, when I chose to go to UMass, it was because I had visited there, and I, I sat in on a music ed class with a, a, a professor named Bill Gaver. 
And I was amazed. And he took me out to lunch. We talked music ed. And I'm like, this is it. I'm not going to New England Conservatory. I'm not going to Ithaca College. I had acceptances in both places. This is home. I want to study with this man. And I sent in my deposit. And that day he resigned. Okay. <laughs> wow. Your luck is like, there's no, you have no middle ground. No, is this, this, <laughs> so when I was teaching then at Mount Greylock Regional High School in Williamstown, Massachusetts, um, I had an opportunity to take a program that was not in good shape at that time and add my energy and excitement and passion and working with lessons with all the kids. And the program really turned around fast. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the parents came up to me and said, this is so great. It's like the Gaver days are back. And I said, the what? <laughs> Bill Gaver? And they said, yes, he started the program at the school when it first opened. And you're doing everything that he would have done. Wow. So I didn't get to study with him. I just followed in his footsteps. Right, right. Wow. Now, not completely. After he left UMass, he went to the University of Tennessee or Memphis, one of them in, in, down there. And he lasted a year before he bought a farm and, and, and left the field. Right. <laughs> Still living in New Hampshire. That's all wow. I know. Well, all of this, like, it's just so the star-crossed paths of things in your life. Star-crossed paths. When I was finishing my master's degree at New England Conservatory, and it's music education with a focus on conducting. Okay. And I was, I was looking for a program like that. I couldn't find it anywhere. So I contacted Frank Battisti at New England Conservatory because I had come to know him and said, here's what I'm looking for. Can you give me an idea? Who's doing this? Because I'm thinking of anybody, he's going to know. And he said, nobody's doing that. Mm -hmm. so, okay. He said, but it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come on over to Boston? It's a two and a half hour drive. <laughs> Williamstown is the northwest corner. Boston's not the northwest corner. <laughs> and he said, let's talk to the dean. So we did. We mapped out a curriculum. And I was the guinea pig to do this new curriculum. Mm -hmm. And as I was finishing my last conducting lesson with, with Frank Battisti. And afterwards I would drive him to the train station so he could get a, a, his train to go home. He said, you know what would be a great doctoral dissertation? The history of the Ithaca High School Band. Mm -hmm. And my, I had two thoughts immediately. One is I am never getting a doctorate. This <laughs> sounds horrible. Why would anyone want to do that? And could you imagine a worse dissertation topic? <laughs> On February 12th, they played a B-flat concert scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so one year later, I'm now the one-year interim director of instrumental music at Franklin and Marshall College. And I'm now sitting in my doctoral advisor's office because I concluded what I'm going to need to do more than anything is get a doctorate if I'm ever going to get out of this place. Because uh, I said, it's going to take 10 years to turn this program around. And I'm not sure it can be turned. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know what would be a great doctoral dissertation for you? The history of the Ithaca High School Band. I'm like, wow. Why does everyone keep saying this? <laughs> I'll have to give Frank a call. Hoping he would say, someone's already taken the topic. So I called and he said, yeah, are you still interested? I said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> praying that something else would come. 
a week later, I got an, a, a letter in the mail, U.S. mail. You remember when like a post person would bring you mail? Vaguely. Yeah, Google it. It was a letter from Warren Benson, who was a, uh, the composing uh, professor at the Eastman School of Music. Mm-hmm. He was always short and to the point. And his letter said, I understand you're doing the Ithaca High School project. I'd like to help. Period. Warren wow. So I'm looking at this letter and said to my wife, I think my dissertation topic has been chosen. <laughs> it sounds like a conspiracy, actually. It was. Okay. They all knew each other. Uh, they were ganging up on me. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every single one of them. The, and you didn't realize that until later, or you you then knew? Well, as I delved into it, I discovered, and like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that also means I was the chosen one. So great. Well. <laughs> and, and it was an incredible experience. Yeah. That's... Uh, be able to chronicle the, how a, a very traditional high school band program, where Frank Battisti's goal, because he was the conductor in 1955 at Ithaca High School, uh, was to be the best band in the country. Mm. And they rehearsed like crazy every Saturday. They had concert band rehearsals. They had sectional rehearsals before and after school every day. They had rehearsals during vacations. Oof. They just didn't have rehearsals on Christmas Day or Easter. Oh, oh. cool. Now, eventually things did mellow and change, but yeah. the there was a metamorphosis of changing the philosophy from that we want to be the best band, the best ensemble, if you will, in the country, to developing the love of the creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. And that the inspiration for performing music really well is because you've composed as a student, and now you get it, and you're, you're in awe of the music in front of you, and you've got to perform it well for the composer's sake. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. That's and great. so during 17 years, they commissioned and premiered 15 pieces mm-hmm. because wow. they became a home for developing new repertoire. And there's a story attached to that. But um, and it was Warren Benson and Frank Battisti having a terrible argument mm-hmm. with Benson questioning the repertoire that Battisti had chosen. And Batisti pushing back, well, that's all there is. And then Benson said, well, then I'll write you a piece. And Batisti said, good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that led to this whole concept and this idea. They would start rehearsals by reading poetry. Wow. And the walls of the rehearsal room were of prints of great paintings. Mm-hmm. So the students were just immersed in this sense of art and then they were composing and they'd have their own contemporary music festival featuring the premieres of all of their pieces. Mm-hmm. And then the, the there was the uh, concert band's concert, which would always have a premiere on it. Yeah. And so and you have commissioned over like 100. Uh, yes. because I imagine this is where this came from. This then. is where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it's still so exciting. I mean, just last night, uh, I read the first two movements of a new cantata that First United Methodist has commissioned. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and now I'm, I'm pushing trying to connect with women composers because too long that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, a composer named Heather Sorensen is, is writing this. 
And we're going to get movement after movement of this cantata as she finishes learning. So exciting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's great. Well, and then this dissertation eventually turned into a book. Correct. Right. So one band that took a chance is mm-hmm. is I, I sort of weeded out all the uh, as much as I could of the academic garbilly goop that's necessary for dissertations and left something that had some musical and artistic content Mm -hmm. Uh, it is out of print now because so many people bought it (laughs) (laughs) well what yeah Uh, (laughs) well and so i did a little research and i i I did see that eugene corporon uh wrote the foreword to your book uh and so you know him you met him and worked with him i I met him uh i mean i asked frank batiste who do you think should write a forward for this first i was frank said we should have someone write a forward like well okay who Mm -hmm. would you recommend he said well gene cooper on so i sent him manuscripts so he could see what i was doing Mm -hmm. and then he said yes and so so he wrote the forward yeah, and he is the the director of band. I imagine is he still the director of bands at University of North Texas? Yes, he, he's still there. I, I'm not sure if he's emeritus or if his role has modified some, uh, but he's still active. Yeah, but he's huge in the the band world and for commissioning pieces, right? I believe for wind band. Yes, so he also sort of caught that bug. Mm-hmm. Of saying if our students are going to have great artistic experiences then they have to practice and perform great art mm-hmm. and sometimes some of the music for scholastic ensembles be it chorus orchestra or band is not necessarily the greatest art mm-hmm. and so this is an effort to change that mm-hmm. yeah that's great. I just, I, well, I, I went to IUP and, and worked with Jack Stamp there. And so I constantly was hearing about Eugene Corporon and recording with him, et cetera. So yeah. no, he's, yeah. Wait, with Frank Battisti, uh, two of the pieces that, that they premiered were by Fra- uh, Vincent Persichetti. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, the students actually commissioned him because uh, the, the band was playing for a New York Giants football game the weekend that um, JFK was assassinated. Mm-hmm. So they immediately went home, but they had money left over. And the students decided what they wanted to do mm-hmm. was commission someone. So they already had contact with with uh, uh, Persichetti. So turn not, turn not thy face was a work that was commissioned by the students of Ithaca High School. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear of that, but that's rare. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the marching band, two-thirds of the arrangements that the students performed mm-hmm. were student arrangements. Wow. You want to talk about community pride. Mm-hmm. Um, they were anti-competition. Mm-hmm. And occasionally they would march on a parade or something and get a trophy. And they would proudly march to the nearest dumpster and throw it in. <laughs> wow. The students. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted that they're magnifying the image of their director. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Batisti emphasized, if you're going to have a trophy case, you need to have a failure case right next to it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have to be bigger. But- what is it that draws you to conducting? 
Uh, this is where I had an experience. This harkens back to New Jersey that uh, forced me to change. And at the time, it, it was not comfortable, but it turned out to be a really good thing. So when I was in 10th grade, I was first chair in New Jersey Allstate on horn. Mm -hmm. um, I was told by several people, including my teacher, whom I love dearly, that it was too soon. I was not ready. Okay. okay. Now, in the Allstate Wind Ensemble, there are five horns. All five of us took lessons from the same teacher. We all knew each other. Three of us went to the same high school. That mm -hmm. wasn't mine. Okay. So that sets the, the stage. Mm -hmm. um, the festival had a guest conductor from a major conservatory. And his repertory shows was so great. It was awesome. I loved it. Um, in the festival, I don't remember him saying up anything positive. Now, he might have, and, but that's my perception and my memory of, of that time. Mm -hmm. The horns were struggling with a particular spot. And the, there was a high school band director who happened to be married to the horn teacher. So he knew all five of us really well. Mm -hmm. And he knew the guest conductor. So he said to the guest conductor, can I take the horns in the hallway for a moment and do a quick sectional? And the guest conductor, loud enough for us all to hear, said, you can take the horns in the hall and leave them there. Oh, wow. So at that moment, I slumped back in my seat. That's actually a big deal because I always sat on the front edge of my chair. <laughs> okay. I was just, I was one of those people. Yeah. And I looked to the players on either side of me, the assistant mm -hmm. first horn and the second horn. The second horn was going to Eastman. Mm -hmm. Okay. She was the one who was supposed to be first chair that year. Okay. Yeah. And I said to them, what one thing can I do to make things better based upon that comment? Mm -hmm. One thing. Mm -hmm. I said, there's nothing. And then I went on, we are the best performers in the whole state. We should be having a blast. <clears throat> this should be so much fun. Yeah, we should work hard. But this should just be one joyful thing on top of another. Mm -hmm. I'm going to become a conductor. And no one will suffer the way we are suffering under my direction. I'm going to become the joyful conductor. <laughs> so that then also became my inspiration. It helped me with my own high school experiences were not always... <laughs> positive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now 15 years later when i was working on my doctorate i'm now doing conducting workshops and i was at the same institution where that guest conductor was a teacher now for those of you familiar with conducting workshops they're they're a great growing experience you get to stand in front of a very fine performing group and have a staff person rip you to shreds in front of all of them it's mm -hmm. a wonderful growing character building experience <laughs> That guest conductor was one of the staff people who was going to be doing this coaching. And I recognized when I was scheduled and the rotation of the faculty, he was going to be up my coach. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> I remember him. I'm sure he doesn't remember me. So I was conducting Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man. Starts out with bass drum and timpani. Boom. And I looked back and standing behind the timpanist was the high school band director who offered to take us out for a sectional. 
my undergraduate conducting mentor, master's degree conducting mentor, that would be Frank Battisti, my doctoral conducting mentor, all four of them are friends because they have ganged up on me. Right. <laughs> They're all with their arms crossed with this silly grin on their face like, I can't wait to see what's going to happen because there was a conference going on at the same time. So they were there. Mm -hmm. So I did my thing. The faculty person had one great constructive comment to help me with a technical issue. And then he turned to me and to the group and said, this, this conductor, he, he changed all of you. Just his mere presence and how he presented himself, the music became joyful. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, thank you. Because that was a wonderful compliment mm -hmm. and so supportive. But also he had crushed my musical soul mm -hmm. and yeah. forced me to decide who I was going to become. Yeah. I mean, wow. we all have positive and negatives. The question is, what are you going to do with them? Yeah. And for me, that was a catalyst that threw me into the direction that I, I've gone. Yeah. Well, and certainly what a great response on your part to... Yeah react in that way to be a positive influence. Yeah. We had this conversation the first time that we met uh, and we talked about this because I had a similar experience in a different setting in high school that really crushed me and really uh, <laughs> was just like, I mean, I was, you know, it was a private lesson. It wasn't in an ensemble, but it was a similar experience of like, you were looking to this person to really like, because you wanted to grow and you wanted to foster this thing that you really loved. And then they were so negative and it was just so, yeah, crushing. And, um, and in a similar way, I met that person later as a professional, um, after they had told me I should really pursue something else, there was no chance I was going to have a career in music, um, that I should really be thinking about doing other things, you know, and, and they're complimenting my playing and you're going like, well, this is really interesting. <laughs> you heard actually, and then those people can become, you know, even a negative experience. And, and in your case, this is certainly true, becomes a catalyst for something so positive. Um, but you have to be paying enough attention to put that spin on it. Mm -hmm. I was in the right place at the right time that I was able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was also my environment mm -hmm. with two parents who were teachers. Mm -hmm. And already my declaration of wanting to be a teacher, that all of that came together at, at that one moment. Yeah. And I was certainly being around other positive people who could be supportive. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, Jill, uh, our oboist friend, I want to call her Marcioni because that's where she was in, in high school. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hoffman. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we have we all have support systems that lift us up, particularly when we're just getting ourselves up off the ground and dusting off our knees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And we all spend time there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Right. And, and funny that you say that too, because I mean, Jill herself is somebody who's been like that for me too. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Well, and there's always a possibility part of that, essence came from my mom to jill mm -hmm. true right it, 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 it's possible so mm -hmm. i'm thrilled to just keep on passing that on and yeah. there's so many lessons i've learned because so many people taught me a lot of lessons because yes. when you're in leadership you're gonna make some boo-boos yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and they're public boo-boos yeah 
and to learn how to accept your mistake mm -hmm. and hear the constructive comment and be able to grow with it. Mm -hmm. And that only happens to me every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just don't know who... Um, is going to be influenced by the things that you do and say. Um, so <laughs> and, and that's where I'm so blessed. Usually the days that I found myself face planted just too many times that, uh, that particular week, that's the day I got an email from someone from 10 years ago, 15, 20, 30 years ago, just yes. letting me know how important I was and that they're applying things they learned from me to what they're doing now, which mm -hmm. might not even be anything musical. Like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Yes. Right. Right. And helps light that fire again. It's yeah. it's amazing what we can do for each other and other people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether they're our students or our colleagues or family. So yeah. So so words count. Mm. So that, that's important. And acts count. Yeah. Um, I've shared with some people, one of the, the moments I think is a, a miracle is when an, an ensemble, orchestra or a band, when they tune. Because mm -hmm. that moment, the oboe mm -hmm. gives a pitch and everyone commits themselves to match that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking yeah. of leadership. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but lots of power there. But, but yeah, lots of power. Great. But they have to commit to match that. Mm -hmm. Right. So without that joint thing happening, and it, that's the foundation. So that, right, that becomes our commitment. We're gonna make something beautiful where there wasn't anything. Right. Right. Oh my goodness! I mean, <laughs> does it get much better than that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, what brought you to Pennsylvania? Was it the, um, the job at FNM? Yes. So I was loving my teaching in Williamstown, Massachusetts. When I was doing my master's work, Frank Battisti would come actually into my school and my ensembles were the guinea pig for him to observe what I'm doing and for him to give constructive comments so I can do things better. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, my high school and middle school students had Frank Battisti as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they recognized how significant that was. And it was near the end of my time then with Frank that he said, you need to go. And I said, Frank, there's still more to be done here. He said, yeah, you've probably got about a year or two before you're going to hit the ceiling in this place because you're your own feeder system. There are problems coming. Uh -huh. I think it's time for you to go. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. He said, you might consider a bigger, different high school uh, or trying to make a jump into the collegiate world. He said, be careful because some collegiate jobs, that'll be your first and last. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. huh. Um, and I decided I didn't want any part of doing high school anymore uh, because I was tired of doing hall duty. Mm -hmm. I wanted to teach. I didn't want to catch people doing things they shouldn't be doing right? and having to be sneaky about it. I just, mm -hmm. you know. so I decided to put all of my eggs into going to the collegiate world mm -hmm. and uh, the FNM position had, I applied and I was not selected. So they selected someone else 
And after two weeks, that person, after they signed their contract, resigned because they got another job uh, at a place uh -huh. they were happier. <laughs> and now Franklin Marshall people were scurrying around and a couple happenstance, crazy little things, conversations I had with people, discovered the position was open. So I called and uh, they uh, uh, sent. I sent a video of a rehearsal of the UMass Youth Wind Ensemble. The person who I was in most competition sent a video of him conducting the UMass Youth Wind Ensemble. <laughs> he was the associate conductor. I was the assistant conductor. And so the folks here had a comparison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Of the same group uh, doing different rep. And so I was given a one-year interim position. Okay. Uh, and we allowed to apply, and I would be a guaranteed finalist. Mm. Uh, that that year set up, uh, that was 1986, so calendar year 87 was the bicentennial for Franklin and Marshall. And I got involved in all kinds of things with that. Mm. Well, someone suddenly noticed, oh my gosh, this is the interim guy. Mm. And this is a calendar year event. So in the fall, he might not be here. Mm -hmm. And everything he said he can do, yeah happen right <laughs> uh, they very quickly made me a two-year interim mm. <laughs> so the first event of the bicentennial was a convocation and the now symphonic wind ensemble formerly the concert band performed at that and at the conclusion of that the dean of students went up to the music department chair and said where's our band and the department chair said well, that's them over there. They just played for this. And the dean of students said, that can't be our band. I've heard our band. Our band's terrible. That was really nice. <laughs> and the, the department chair said, it's the new guy. He's turned the whole program around. Yeah. And the, the, the dean of students said, the same person we're going to do a search to replace? <laughs> yeah. And magically, the term, the the interim part of my position was removed and and there it was here it is wow. some years yes right so, <laughs> and that's wow that's that's amazing yeah. um and so it's been that long what what are you most proud of uh, of your work at fnm how much time do we have well <laughs> i'll give you two oh. minutes <laughs> okay good okay thank you if it's um, <laughs> there are several things so first off it, it's what was accomplished by every single student i've had a chance to work with mm -hmm. and looking at the alumni numbers that's pretty close to a thousand students i've worked with during that time because mm -hmm. what we've we have not functioned like a small college we've been doing some pretty major musical things mm -hmm. so i'm so impressed proud and in awe of what these students have been able to accomplish with most of them not being music majors mm -hmm. um the conducting program is something that i oh, proud just sounds wrong to me but i i'm pleased with um and that it's really it's a leadership class mm -hmm. and learning how to talk to people how to inspire them how to lead them how to give them constructive criticism that won't crush their soul but can lift them up and get them to do better mm -hmm. um and this is something i think is so amazing three of my students who've gone through that program 
now have doctorates in conducting and are teaching at colleges or universities. Wonderful. Wow. Wait, wait a minute. This is Franklin and Marshall College. We're like a pre-med place. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's really amazing. So that program has been running now for about 30 years. Okay. And, and it's, I love every day of it. Well, I actually love every rehearsal. Mm -hmm. uh, but Yeah. And getting to work with the students there. And, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Mm hmm I mean, likewise, I, I love the guest conducting. We talked about PMEA and, and things like uh, of that nature. I just finished a festival. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. Great to yeah. know those students mm -hmm. and call some of them by name and and hearing where we went from the first reading of the, of the repertoire to the performance. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So that, that, that's what I'm most pleased with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right, your two minutes are up. Okay. Thank so, you. <laughs> so then in, um, so the year 2000 was when you had created Allegro. What led you to create that ensemble? A couple of years before I was at a birthday party. Um, it was a good friend, colleague. I'm going to use his name, Emery DeWitt. Mm -hmm. uh, Emery had decided to start to play oboe i and sense a theme a, throughout this yeah year. there's an oboe thing <laughs> double reads ah, back pressure so sorry um, everybody All right. <laughs> <But> go ahead <laughs> yeah so he starts to learn to play oboe at an age that many oboes are retiring right but he really invested himself in it and in his i think it was his second year of playing uh, his wife had a brilliant idea she hired a string quartet to play accompaniments for some of the music that he was working on and invited friends and their living room was really a great room so they could have the musicians right there and everyone's sitting on the floor and the couches right up on top of them and other people also did some solo works and the string quartet played some things and there was food and there was this interaction between the performers and the audience and there was laughter and mm -hmm. on the way home, my wife was driving and I was massaging my cheeks because they ate because I've been smiling for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I said, I want to find a way to be able to transpose that from that intimate setting to an orchestral setting. Yes. Yeah. So uh, in 1999, I pulled together a group of musicians and said, here's my vision. Do you think this is needed in the community? That's the big question. And that discussion we had that night led to the formation of the first board. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought Allegro was an important choice because Allegro in Italian has a couple of translations. One is fast, but the other is joyful. Mm -hmm. So I wanted this to be the joyful orchestra. Mm -hmm. And so those people that gathered that night became the first board and we started to organize and then 2000 we were all to get our first season up mm -hmm. um, someone asked a board member do you have a, a shoestring budget and they said oh no no we have an angel hair pasta budget <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we've been able to just keep on evolving things mm -hmm. have changed we were strictly an 18th century orchestra then mm -hmm. um but we've now gone to the point where we're doing world premieres, mm -hmm. music by living composers, and oh yes, some 18th century music too. 
and a variety of sizes of groups, and also now having a, a complete youth orchestra program. Yeah. So this has evolved from a very, very humble beginning to a pretty big program. Yeah, it's it's amazing how one thing leads to another, and um, the oh, the whole house concert idea is is just one of the greatest things. I I, I did a few of those this past summer, last year, and that intimacy of um, being with the people and not only playing for them and introducing them to music and, or your instruments, but to be able to talk with them and have conversations about it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's life-changing for everybody. Yes. Because a lot of folks who are in audiences who are enjoying these performances really can't have any idea mm -hmm. what's happening. Even if they played an instrument in the past, the level of, perform of professional performers is a whole different thing. And to experience this and be able to talk about it. And professional musicians seldom get to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So to be able to share something that you're so passionate about Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So the house concert is wonderful. Yeah. Now, the pandemic has just made a mess of everything. And certainly the vision for Allegro, where the musicians are greeting people at the door. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. Or going out into the audience and talking to intermission. <laughs> no. Uh -huh. uh, so once we get completely out of this little mess that we're in, I'm looking forward to all of that coming back full force. So we can have that kind of interaction. But my goal with Allegro is to break down the barrier that's between the audience and the stage so mm -hmm. that we are one. Yeah. And that's why I talk to them. I, I introduce the pieces, not because I particularly like hearing myself talk. I don't, mm -hmm. which I know is a shock given how much I've been talking. <laughs> well, that's kind of the idea of this. Well, yeah, right. So <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to to a friend say, Here, here's why I want you to listen to this piece of music because it's so cool because of this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so great. And then to be able to do that with with the, the youth orchestras and uh, Morgan was a major cog in the Electro Next Gen program. She was a program coordinator for several years, mm -hmm. knows how important all of that is and the difference that makes to a lot of students. Mm -hmm. That program's got close to 250 students involved in it. Yes, it's it's huge. It's, I think it's a pretty amazing thing, not to derail us, but I think also no. you want to talk about history. Um, and the that program is is the continuation of Lancaster County Youth Symphonies and keeping alive, you know, that's a big part of our our project here, talking to people who are staples in the community, you know, the way that they keep things alive here in Lancaster, the way the, the legacy of the music we have here. And so I think that's the really cool thing then is Allegro was something that was really new. And then it was all able to absorb that history and keep it going. Um, and that's really impactful. And then when you see how many students are still enrolled in that program, you realize how important it is for that to happen. But, and I, I think it's important for us always to recognize whose shoulders we're standing on. So the, the Lancaster County Youth Symphony had this remarkable history, but evolution needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate that Allegro had the Allegretto Youth Symphony going at that time, at the same time that the Youth Symphony was functioning. And that evolution became relatively natural for them to come together. Mm -hmm. and, but that required a lot of work. 
and uh, Morgan was a big part of, of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm so pleased you you mentioned the the, the, the Lancaster County Youth Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was a major component for the development of a lot of the music in this area. Yeah, yeah, it felt really important to keep it moving. So in our region that we are in, and we have quite a few regional orchestras, local orchestras like Allegro and beyond. And um, there is quite, um, you know, a thriving musical community that we have here. And and as a leader in the field, um, what would you like to see either continue or change in the in the musical community here? Well, here specifically Lancaster County, uh, I mean, we're just amazingly blessed by having the Lancaster Symphony with their incredible history, as well as Allegro, which is more designed to be featuring more of the, the local professional musicians. So it's great that we have both of those going. Mm-hmm. But what both of those organizations don't have that we desperately need is a fantastic concert hall. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Fulton is a very lovely place. Let's be clear. The Fulton is lovely, and the renovations that have happened there are stunning. If you haven't had a chance to see the new lobby system there, and they have a, a, a sort of a black, uh, 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 was it black? Not oh, black, box, like a black, black box. Yeah, black theater. box. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> overlooks Water Street. Two sides of it are just glass. It's really stunning. It's not a great place to perform for orchestras. Basically, acoustic music. It's, it's right. just not designed to do that. Okay. And it's not really big enough mm-hmm. for that either. So, the idea of having a place that could be a one purpose performance space, a concert hall, which is different than a theater, that these groups can perform. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's so many other great organizations in the area that could also perform there to have that be a hub and to have an adjacent to that a um a flexible seating space i'm thinking mm-hmm. of music in the round mm-hmm. but there's a lot of other things that could fit into a flexible seating space that could also have food and have adequate parking and maybe uh, places to mm-hmm. eat restaurants and things like that it could be so amazing mm-hmm. uh, so if i want to see a change mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's one now that's going to require uh these organizations to have some uh, very specific bonding relationships to get that all accomplished. We are not fighting each other. We are not competitors, but right now we're not linked together with a a common goal of uh, gaining a facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because currently um, Allegro, uh, you perform in churches, correct? We're a lot of different places. So the full orchestra version is now at the Gardner Theater at Lancaster Country Day. What an amazing place. Yes, mm, it is. But still too small yeah. mm-hmm. for an organization that wants to be able to do with professional musicians a concert, because that makes it feasible mm-hmm. to be able to sit 1,100, 1,200 people mm-hmm. in a concert hall where everyone can see and hear. Okay, right. we don't have that. Now, some of the high school auditoriums can sit that but high school auditoriums are in huge use by the schools yeah. and most of them are multi-purpose spaces which make them acoustically difficult right now the smaller version of allegro the music in the round 
uh, we performed for a long time at the Ware Center in their third floor, uh, the atrium, which was perfect. I mean, that was the inspiration. When I walked in that room, I said, I know exactly what we need to do here. We put the orchestra in the middle and the audience around them. Mm-hmm. music in the round and we can have food this would be terrific this would be just like emory dewitt's birthday party mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but schedules couldn't always mesh so now music in the round is somewhat nomadic um, and has been performing at several churches and it's more of music in the horseshoe <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're still having a, a vision of how can we make this that same intimate feeling and that's where having a flexible seating space that you could do that kind of thing and sit 300 400 people and still have that intimate feeling that you're right on top of the musicians mm-hmm. for music and the round concerts i sometimes joke assuming people find this funny uh, to say as an audience member if the musician near you says turn the page turn the page I mean, that's how close <laughs> you are. And I think that's significant. So yeah. uh, that's where we've evolved. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there needs to be some more evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you seem to be a person who is always looking forward and l- looking to um, see what, well, you know, how you, how you can change things, how you can make things better. And, and you are constantly evolving yourself, uh, yes. it seems. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no comparison between me and yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things have have already evolved. Yeah. I, I learned a lot about the forward looking from uh, our present dog at home. His name is Apollo. Uh, he was a rescue. He was from Mississippi. He hadn't been treated very well. And when he first came to us or we first got him, whatever, um, taking him on walks was hard because mm-hmm. he was always looking behind him. Mm-hmm. he was more fascinated with what was behind him than what was in front of him mm-hmm. i said thank you you're teaching me a lot here i'd like you to look this way now but so we yeah. have to be aware of our history yeah where we've come from but if you're always looking there mm-hmm. you're gonna hit a tree well and that's you know that's the same kind of thing i tell my students sometimes is that you know if you're driving and you're always looking in the rear view mirror uh, you know you you're not going to see what's coming up ahead. And then, you know, so yeah, yeah you just bad, bad keep an happen. eye on it. You can yeah. keep an eye on it, but. Know where you've been. Right. That helps you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What is your advice to young professional musicians wanting to make music their career? And I imagine that the advice that you would give today is different than 30 plus years ago. Um, maybe not, um, but what what would your advice be to them? Uh, I learn a lot from people I work with and my children. And my children seem to be always teaching me things. Oh, yes. <laughs> Constantly. Mm-hmm. Dad. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very quick rabbit trail. Uh, My first conducting of a PMEA district event, two of my kids were in that group. And the night before, the oldest one gave me a list of everything I should not do. (laughs) Wow. Well, they're giving you direction. Um, (laughs) Some of them were a little uncomfortable, but all of them were good. Yeah. 
So one of the things I learned from my oldest daughter, Molly, who, who is a pro horn player, I mean, it was audition 27 that she finally won a position. I don't know about you, but for me, around audition eight is when I'd be starting to think about selling shoes at Sears. Sure. Mm -hmm. So part of my support for developing musicians is first ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Are you passionate about it? Do you believe in it? And if so, then the most important part of that is don't give up. Mm -hmm. right. Keep on going because you are going to face plant mm -hmm. and learn something from every single face plant. Mm -hmm. That was something Molly also taught me as I was curious how she was holding up through one disappointment after another. And she said two things. One, I know I'm doing the right thing. And second, I learned something at every single audition. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, great. I mean, you so, have to take from it what you can. So don't give up, mm -hmm. but you might have to be creative. Mm -hmm. And that's where things have changed. Mm -hmm. And being creative might mean you're going to have to be an entrepreneur. You may not, you may have to start something that doesn't even exist right now. Mm -hmm. And that's when asking what is needed artistically in this community. What can I give? Right. Do they fit together? If so, then then you've got something to work with. Keep on going. Connect with other people. Get them to share your vision. That's how Allegro started. Right. Was right. that meeting with those musicians, and they were all on board with that vision. Without them, this would that would not have happened. There's no right. way. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot do it myself. And as a conductor, there's nothing I can do myself. Mm -hmm. except for calisthenics <laughs> well you need that community and that connection it's, right it's so important which you know a lot of us you know during covid um had lost and it was just blown out of the water but um you know as we recover from that um i think we need to take from that like the how important that is i, mean, I used to think that i was a music director covid helped me understand that i'm actually a community director Mm. it just happens to be my community music is our common thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so i i think that's also very important but mm -hmm. yeah don't it give is. up don't right. give up don't ever give up right yeah see it through uh well thank you so much i i wish we had more time <laughs> but we do not <laughs> um so unless we want to do a part two um so but uh thank you so much for taking the, your time um to talk with us today um we're so glad that you could join us it's a treat being able to talk about it and share it yeah thank you and uh thank you to our listeners uh, we're so glad that you're out there supporting us if you our listeners have any questions or suggestions as to who you might enjoy an interview of or if you would like to sponsor any of our episodes we have lots of musicians and students of musicians listening in so please contact us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and video versions can be found on our Life Between the Notes YouTube channel. You can follow us at all of those places and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And with that, um, everybody have a great day. Thank you, Morgan, and thank you, Brian.